That is the weirdest walk-up music. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to feel about that. <laughs> hey, welcome everybody. Glad that you guys are here. Welcome out there online, uh, wherever you are, whenever it is that you're listening to this message. You guys here in house, some visitors out there, some new faces. If I didn't get a chance to really touch base and say hi, I would love to afterwards. So hopefully you'll stick around for some ice cream downstairs. I may have gone a little overboard when I was purchasing ice cream, so. We have, we have a lot. You won't be disappointed, I'll put it that way, provided you like ice cream. Uh, and if you don't, um, there's a big church across the street, they hate ice cream. So that'd be, no, no. I don't know why I said that. Anyway, hey, glad you guys are here. Uh, it's, uh, we are just, we are so blessed. The last few weeks, God has just been just impressing on me how blessed I am, how blessed this church is. Um, how blessed we are to live in this country. Um, this weekend is all about celebrating how blessed we are to live in this country. But this is, this is one nation under God. And it was founded that way. It continues to be that way. And despite the fact that depending on what news you allow yourself to get wrapped up in, it can be easy to see that maybe it's not quite the nation under God that we thought it was. That's a lie from the enemy. This nation was founded that way. It's going to continue to be that way, but that also means it's going to be a fight every step of the way, much like it is when you give your life to Christ. It doesn't mean it gets easy at that point. It means that's when the fight starts in earnest, to hang on to those promises. So that's what we're here for. So welcome, everybody. That's a happy note, isn't it? Um, welcome, everybody. Um, we are in uh, the book of Ephesians. We call it One Church, One Mission, One Jesus. Uh, we've been, our last big series that we did was in the book of James. We went through the book of James uh, start to finish, and that's the way that we teach here. So we go through uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. When we go into a book, we tear it apart. We look at what Scripture is really telling us about how to live our lives and the advice that it gives, uh, and we go deep into that. So we don't just jump around and pick themes. Um, now our last series, after the book of James, which was all about being doers of the word, right? Don't deceive yourselves. You know what the word says, but don't just say, yeah, I, I'm a Christian. I do, I do what the Bible says, and then go out and don't do it. James was all about, like, let's live our faith in a way that people can see. If somebody looks at you, they ought to be able to say, you're different, they may not be able to put their finger on it, but you're different. There's something different about the way you live. And if we're not living our lives that way, then maybe we should take another look at how we live our lives. Then we went into just a very, very short series talking about the body of Christ, one of the very few theme series that we did, what it means to be a part of the body of Christ and how we're given spiritual gifts to go out and live a life worthy of our calling worthy of who Christ says we are, worthy of the sacrifice that he made for us to give us the renewed life in him. So now we're going into, we're going to take a deep dive into Ephesians. And Ephesians is, it continues that theme of, of remember who you are. Remember who God called you to be. Remember and live your life that way. That's what Ephesians is all about. Paul starts out, actually it's not start, it's in verse, it's in chapter four, 
But the first two verses of chapter 4, by the way, if you don't have your Bible, we've got a loner in the back in that basket. If you want to borrow one, if you want to pull it up on, on an app, bring a Bible. If you don't know that studying the Bible is the most life-giving, enjoyable, exciting thing that you can do, talk to Pastor Gabe. She will fill you in on how exciting it is. But this is a great place to bring it. But, but in Ephesians 4... It's written by the Apostle Paul, and he writes it from prison. So he's been, he's been arrested, and he's been passed through several hands because nobody knows what to do with him, and finally they, he ends up under house arrest. And so he's writing, when it says prison, prisoner is probably a more accurate term because he's writing, he's under house arrest. He can't leave, but people can come and go. And so he is making the most of that time. And he writes this. Uh, Again, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. That kind of is a quick synopsis of really what the whole book of Ephesians is about. Ephesians is a little bit different if you're familiar with Paul's letters or epistles that he writes to the Galatians and the Philippians and the Corinthians and all these different things. Most of those are written to churches who are having specific problems. And he writes to them saying, here's how you solve that specific problem. Here's how you should deal with that. Ephesians is a little bit different. Now, the church in Ephesus uh, is struggling with some issues, but they're not way off base. They're not serious issues. It's kind of a preemptive strike that he's writing to them saying, hey, remember what you've been taught. Stand firm on what you know. Stand firm on the Lord and don't let yourself be swayed by any teaching that's in error. And so he's writing them really mostly for that reason. And the whole epistle really, you could, you could sum it up. Who here had a parent that said, Remember who you are and make good choices, right? The whole book of Ephesians could really kind of be summed up that way. So this week, this week we've got a a kind of a light and fluffy message. We're going to talk about predestination. For those of you who are visiting, you're like, I picked the wrong weekend to visit. Um, Predestination. Scripture talks about predestination. We are predestined in Christ. And so many different things are popping into your head right now about what predestination means. And we're going to talk about that. But first, I'm going to read it. We're going to go Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to go verses 1 through 6. That's all we're talking about today. 1 through 6. And I'm going to read the whole thing to you. So just let it soak in. You can follow along if you want. But I'm going to read this, and then we're going to go back in and, and take it apart. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be homely, homely, we would be holy, And blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, 
with which he favored us in the beloved. All right, that's it. We're going to take that apart and we're going to look deeper. So when you think about predestination, what comes to mind? If somebody would, would, would ask you, just say somebody on the street maybe says, hey, tell me about this whole predestination thing. What would come to mind? Like, is it, Andrew, what? That's good. I think a lot of people, though, would think it's exclusionary, especially if they're not believers. Like, so you're telling me, since I'm not predestined, then I'm on the outside? Is it unfair that some are predestined, some aren't? Um, Maybe it starts some hostility. It might be one of those things when somebody asks you that question, you're like, hmm, I'd love to talk to you about it, but I have to go. And, and I just don't want to talk about this because it can be difficult. So sometimes difficult topics like this are things to be avoided. If we don't really truly understand it, when it comes up, we're just like, I'm just going to avoid that conversation. I'm going to change the subject. Be like a parent because I said so. And that's, and that's, but that doesn't go so far when we're trying to help People understand the faith, and we're trying to even ourselves many times grapple with aspects of the faith, just saying, because the Bible says so. It's not always enough. And so I want us to look at this, and it can cause, that subject sounds divisive, but I want to tell you, if you really truly understand it, it is a beautiful thing. It is a life-giving thing. It is an amazing gift. It's not exclusionary. It's not divisive. It's none of those things. It is a beautiful gift from God. And let's talk about it. Because a subject can cause a lot of people to struggle with their faith. And taken to the extreme, it leads to this, this idea called fatalism. Right? Fatalism. If God's already decided, why do I need to try? If God's already decided who goes to heaven and who goes to hell and and who's blessed and who isn't, who's on the inside and who's on the outside, if God's already decided all that, why do I need to do anything? Because he's already decided it. So it leads to this idea of fatalism. It makes us lazy as Christians. Because why should I go out and evangelize? Why should I try and share the gospel message if it's already been decided? What's my role even in this? I have a cartoon that I found that kind of explains it. And I don't know if you can see it. It probably translates better online. Anybody know Calvin and Hobbes, right? Calvin says, I've decided to be a fatalist. All events are preordained and and unalterable. Whatever will be, that way, if anything bad happens, it's not my fault, it's fate. So he gets tripped. Too bad you were fated to do that. He says, no, that wasn't fate. All right. It was funnier to me, at, you know, when I was writing my message late at night. I was cracking up over that. But the idea is there. If all my steps are preordained, if what will be will be, um, why do I even, why try? And that's the wrong way to look at this. The other way that people struggle with this is the idea of predestination versus free will. Where does our free will intersect with predestination? Where does that happen and how does that 
even work. We know that we're given free will by God. He didn't want us to be robots. He didn't want us to just march in lockstep with exactly what he says when he says it. He gave us free will to make our own choices. Now, the term free will is actually not found in Scripture. You can't find a place where it says free will. But the idea is, listen to this. This is Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 30, 19. I think we have it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have placed before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Anybody ever heard that one? So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. It's all laid out in front of us. We have all the choices. Which one are we going to choose? We weren't meant by God to understand the why and how of everything that happens. But the devil wants us to get wrapped up in that question. Remember all the way back in the Garden of Eden? Where God said, you can eat from any tree in the garden except this one. Genesis 1, 16, 17. The Lord God commanded man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For on that day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. And we know it wasn't a literal death, but a spiritual death death that happened right there. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which means we were never meant to sit and dwell and ponder and fight and, and, and get backwards and upside down and wrapped up in what's right and wrong. Just live your life the way that I've called you to do it. When we start asking the why and how and parsing these things, that's where the devil wants us. He wants us to sit and argue about these things and get so wrapped up in all that that we can't move forward in the blessing that we have. We'll never fully understand how and why God does what he does. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts then your thoughts. <coughs> Excuse me. Does that sound like a cop-out? Does that sound like I'm just saying, hey, difficult question. We're never going to understand the answer, so let's just enjoy and go home. I don't do that. We're going to talk about it, so let's dig in a little bit deeper. Let's go in, and I will show you that the idea of predestination is life-giving, and it is a beautiful gift. So stay with me. Ephesians 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul starts right out. That seems like just a greeting, and it is a common greeting from Paul, but he starts right out laying this foundation. He's an apostle because God chose him to be one, not because of anything he did. He didn't earn it. He didn't do anything like that. He's chosen by God. By God's grace, he is chosen to be an apostle. So that's how he starts out right away. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, part of a typical greeting, but think about this. Leave that up there for a second, uh, Jeremy, back there. Acceptance of God's grace is absolutely necessary before you can have true peace in your life. 
Think about that. So if you go through your day and you're struggling to have peace, you're just struggling to live in peace, I want to ask you to think about this. Have you truly and fully accepted God's grace in your life? Because if you haven't, you're going to struggle always to have peace. That's a side note, but an important one. I want you to think about that. Ephesians 1.3, moving on. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So just a side note for those of you who are going to be with us as we go through this whole thing. Paul lays out this idea of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in the first 14 verses. The first few are talking about the Father. That's what we're going to talk about here today. Then the next, next week, we'll be talking about the Son, and then 11 to 14 in the third week about the Holy Spirit. It's just kind of how he lays this out. And, and it's subtle. You have to look for it. But he's very carefully laying out to the church in Ephesus, look, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, this is how you live your life. We just learned about that idea in James when we were talking about it. When James, James 1, 16, 17, do not be deceived, brothers and sisters. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. That's when he talks about bless us with every spiritual blessing that Paul is saying here. So what are these spiritual blessings that he's even talking about? Is it it worth pursuing, these spiritual blessings? What do you think he's talking about there when he says spiritual blessings? I think just laying it out right here, there's grace. That's a blessing. There's peace. The idea of predestination, which you will soon see, is an incredible blessing. Adoption. God's favor. And then, oh, by the way, all spiritual gifts that we've talked about in the last couple series. And by definition, all of these things, these spiritual blessings, are supernatural in nature. You can't work for them. You can't somehow go out and buy them. You can't take a class that's going to give them to you. You can learn about them. But they come from God, and they're unobtainable by human effort. That's what he's talking about there. Verse 4 in Ephesians 1, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Depending on your translation, in love is either the start of the next verse or the end of verse 4. Let's talk about this, though. There's, There's some meat to be found in that statement right there. The word chose, by the way, here's our first Greek lesson of the day. The word chose, just as he chose us in him, is the Greek word eklego. And eklego, the definition is to select for oneself by a highly deliberate choice with a definite outcome in mind. Okay, I know that's kind of chunky, but what it means really, speaking a conclusion into existence. That's what that word translates as, so much deeper than just the English word chose. And here's the thing that really, really just strikes my heart. Just as he chose us in him, when did he choose us in him? Before the foundation of the world. All right, 
So that means we go back to Genesis. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and desolate emptiness. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. In this empty, chaotic void. Before he did anything, his very first step, he chose you. Think about that. Think about that. We hear in scripture where it says, he, he ordered your steps from before birth. He knew you in your mother's womb. Child's play compared to this. Before the earth was even formed, he knew you. And he did it for you. He chose you. Now he's not talking about he chose this big giant corporate you. He's talking about you and you and you and you. He chose you before he even laid the foundations of the earth. Does that not give you goosebumps? That's what that means. Ephesians 1.5, he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Second Greek lesson, predestined, perizo, the Greek word perizo, which means to mark out beforehand, to establish boundaries and limits. When he put the earth together, he put it together for you as a place for you so that he could be with you. That's what predestined is. Romans 8, 29, 30. Again, Paul writing this, but to a different audience. He says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he glorified. What a beautiful progression of what he does for us. He foreknew. So he knew what was going to happen. He knew that he was going to put you on this earth. He knew you were going to be on this earth. He knew what you were going to look like. He knew who you were going to be. And he predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. And then he called you. And then he justified you. And then he glorifies you ultimately. And that'll happen when we receive our glorified bodies in heaven. That word adoption is not, I taught last series, it's not something that was done lightly. Adoption was an incredibly important process. It's the act of leaving your natural family and entering into the privileges and responsibilities of another family. And justification is the adoption process that God uses to accomplish that for us. Legal adoption, this is kind of a sort of a side note, but it's important to understand. Legal adoption was not a thing in Hebrew culture. Okay? It wasn't a part. You go all the way back to, to Moses and, and all throughout Hebrew culture. It is now. But it wasn't in ancient Hebrew culture. Adoption was not a legal process. The idea was, but it wasn't done legally. Anytime we see this in the Old Testament, so for instance, with Moses. Those of you who know the story of Moses, right, being, being found and, and being uh, adopted, really, by Pharaoh's daughter, adoption was a legal thing in Egyptian culture. 
So Moses was legally adopted into that Egyptian culture. Uh, another big example, Esther. Okay, we know about Esther. Again, that's Persian culture. She's being adopted in Persian culture. So in all these other cultures, adoption was a legal, a legal thing, but it wasn't in Hebrew culture. And that's important, subtle, but important for us to understand. The nation of Israel was chosen by God. Okay, chosen versus predestination. It's a different thing. And it's fine, so follow me here. Deuteronomy 7, 6, 8. For you are, this is written to the nation of Israel. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his personal possession out of all the peoples who are in the face of the earth. The Lord did not make you his beloved nor choose you because you were greater in number than any other peoples, since you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath that he swore to your forefathers. The Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Word chosen again in Hebrew, it's bakar, which means appointed as acceptable. The nation of Israel was chosen because God made a covenant to Abraham. He chose you before this earth was ever even formed. He knew you, and he chose you as his own, predestined you to adoption, to be his own. The nation of Israel, chosen as a promise, fulfilled to Abraham, a covenant promise, a very important promise, but the fulfilling of a promise. You were specifically chosen because God took great delight in creating all of this for you. I don't know if, if I'm able to really get that point across as much as it's impacting me. The word adoption, by the way, again, another Greek word, hoistia, hoistia, and the definition is God's divine choice. Remember, in our last series, adoption wasn't something that was done lightly. It was very common among the Roman culture, very, very common among the Roman culture. And I read through the list of benefits of adoption last time, but I want to focus on just one specific one. By law, if you were adopted, all debts and any past transgressions that you may have committed were wiped out as you entered your new family. See a parallel there? And what Christ does with us, any previous transgressions were wiped out by law when you were adopted. That should give you a reason to praise God because he says you are adopted. He knew before you were ever put on this earth that he loved you enough to want to call you into his family by adoption. And he has done that. He has done that. And with that, all prior transgressions are erased and you are a part of the new family. That should give you reason to praise God. And it does Paul, because the very last verse that we're going to talk about here, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace with which he favored us in the beloved. So, that's it for our study of the individual scriptures. Let's cut to the chase now. The question that everybody has, does predestination mean that if you don't know Jesus, it's because God didn't want you to in the first place? 
Anybody ever hear that question? Think that question? Anybody ever been asked that question? I have. 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Peter says this. I'm just going to read it to you. Oh, I think we have it on screen, actually. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that the Lord, with, one, with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. He's just underscoring that we cannot put God in the same box that we live in. He is outside of time, and he is outside of space, so he knew you ever before you were born. Verse 9, the Lord is not slow about his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Here's what I want you to focus on, the last part. Not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Now this is important. Not wanting anyone to repent to perish is not the same as not allowing anyone to perish. That's important. I'm going to say it again. Not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Not wanting anyone to perish is not the same as not allowing anyone to perish. That is a false doctrine that's out there. It's called universalism. Um, There is a Unitarian Universalist church, and this is their symbol. That's the symbol of the Unitarian Universalist church. Now, I'm not... Believe me, I am not mocking anyone's beliefs, but I am pointing out how in all of these different symbols, anyone notice what this one is? Starfleet, Star Trek. Seriously, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know how seriously I take the universal acceptance of that, um, here's their statement: the universe. This, I'm not railing against universalist church. Okay, I'm, I'm railing against the false doctrine of universalism. Okay, listen to this. This is the this is the statement right off their website. We believe in the full and final triumph of the grace of God over the powers of sin and death. Okay, so far so good. That the mercy and forgiveness of God are victorious that the victory of redemption is revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So far, so good. I have no problems with that. Therefore, no human being will be condemned or allowed to suffer pain and separation forever. That's simply not true. Scripture tells us that by our choices, we can reject Jesus, and we will not end up in heaven, although our Father is not willing for any to go there. And he will make every way possible for us to make the choice to not end up in that place. But should we choose to be in that place, he's not going to say, yeah, bad decision, I'm, I'm taking you anyway. It doesn't work like that. We need to make the choice. There's a theologian, a Swiss theologian, Karl Barth, and he said this quote. It, to me, it just kind of makes it make sense. I hope you guys can read that over there. He says, I do not believe in universalism, but I do believe in Jesus Christ, the reconciler of all. That's an important way to look at it, and that's how I'm going to wrap this message up. Our God is a God of infinite grace and mercy, but also one of justice. Grace and mercy mean nothing without the other side of the coin, which is justice. 
Psalm 33.5 says, He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Psalm 37.27, Turn from evil and do good so that you will dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice and does not abandon his godly ones. They are protected forever, but the descendants of the wicked will be eliminated. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. Now, lest it all seem confusing, and like, so what do, I, what, what do I have to do? The apostle John solves that issue very concisely. John 3, 16, 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but so the world might be saved through him. Let that soak in for just a second. Think about that statement in the context of this message. God knew you before you were born. Before he ever even formed the earth, he knew you. And he knew that he would love you so much that he wanted to adopt you into his family composed of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and all other believers. And he knew that before this earth was ever formed. That means that God made the heavens and earth so that he could be with you. That's what he wanted. And that's why he created the heavens and earth. You weren't an afterthought. He didn't make the earth and go, you know, it's not quite done yet. What does it need? Maybe a lamp over here? People, I know, it needs people. He created all of this for you. So think about the next time, the next time you look at a meadow or a mountain or a tree or a sunset or an ocean or a deer walking through the parking lot. He did all that for you to enjoy and he called you to himself so that you would come here and dwell with him and be with him and enjoy what he has done for you. He also knew that you'd have a problem. He also knew that many would, would struggle, would be stubborn, would be sinful in nature, and he made a way for us to overcome them, not just survive them, not just live through it somehow by the skin of our teeth, but to live in this world as upside down as it can be with joy. And that way, that way is Jesus. So, to revisit this idea of free will. One scholar, he worded it like this. So think about this. We have a free will in the sense that we are capable of making moral choices. Our decision-making is impacted by numerous factors, though. For example, our sin nature, our upbringing, our intellect, our training, education, biology, psychology, physiology. So human beings do not truly have a free will as popularly defined. We have a will. We can make decisions. And biblically speaking, we have the responsibility to respond to what God has revealed to us, including his call to believe the gospel. Think about that. We talk about free will. People say, nobody can tell me what to do. I'm going to do whatever I want. Are you really doing whatever you want? Are you doing what you have been pre-programmed in many ways to do by your culture, by your family, by your upbringing, by your environment? 
Nobody truly has free will. So the question is, to what are you going to respond with your choices? What are you going to let guide your choices? Is it just the flesh and just survival? Is it Satan? Or is it the message that God has revealed to us? Is that what you're going to allow to influence your life? Because it's still your choice, but your choices come from everywhere. What are you going to allow to influence your choices? <coughs> we could debate and we could study this for centuries because people have been for centuries. And Satan wants us to get all caught up in focusing on that. But the hint here is that you never will figure it out for sure because we weren't meant to. We were meant to enjoy the blessing given to us. But I want to leave you with this question. <clears throat> Actually, it's two things. So here's the major theme that God wants us to know for sure. The Father selected us, the Son sacrificed himself for us, and the Holy Spirit seals us, living inside us as a guarantee of our future home in God's presence. That's what we need to know for sure. But here's the question I want to leave you with before we pray and go into communion. If someone told you that the boat you were on was about to sink, would you take a seat in the life raft if they offered you one? Or would you stand there and question why they knew to put a life raft on the boat to begin with? Think about that. Okay, that went over like a lead balloon. <laughs> I'm going to repeat it the way that I wrote it right here because, man, this, at 11.30 at night when I was writing this, I'm like, that's gold. If someone told you that the boat you were on was about to sink and they offered you a seat in the life raft, would you take it? Or would you question why the boat carried life rafts in the first place? Let's pray. <laughs> Father God, I am so... I am so thankful that you are a God of grace and a God of mercy. But you are also a God of justice. And so you give us the opportunity to make our own choices. You give us the opportunity to fail as often as we fail. But you made a way for us to get back up again, be forgiven, be renewed in Jesus Christ. So none of our human failures are permanent. None of our human failures are held against us because you adopted us into your family. So Lord, we just, I pray that we all live our lives thankfully, understanding what you have done for us. And with a sense of awe when we look at this world that you did this for us. We're not an afterthought. We're the point you wanted to be with us so much that you made the heavens and earth for a place to dwell with us. So, Father, we are just thankful. We love you so much. We want to live our lives worthy of who you knew that we were from the beginning of time, who you've called us to be. Help us to live our lives worthy of that calling. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to take communion now. Uh, we have two stations up front, over here on this side and this side. And the way that we do it here, um, you don't have to be a member of the church or go through anything special. You have to say yes to Jesus. 
And if he is your Lord and Savior, then we invite you to come up and take communion. Up front here, what we have is bread and gluten-free crackers, and you just dip it in the wine and take it like that. If you prefer to not have the wine or to serve yourself, in the back we have self-serve back there. We also, very importantly, we have prayer team in the back, and you'll see them back there. They'll have lanyards on. They're standing back there. Um, they want to pray with you. So many times when you hear a message like this, it's hard to reconcile in your heart, and you're just thinking about it, and like, I just can't get over the hump thinking of all the mistakes that I've made and how no way God could know I was going to be as messed up as I am. Well, he knew, but sometimes we need help. And so the prayer partners in the back, they'll pray with you. They can pray healing with you, um, just help you to understand and receive what God has done for you. Let's take advantage of that, okay? That's what they're there for. Let's just move about with thankfulness as we listen to the worship. And do not forget, join us for the birthday celebration or anniversary celebration. Downstairs afterward, ice cream and cupcakes and all kinds of fun stuff. Hang out with us after worship. Thank you, guys. Be blessed.